We're going to read from the Bible together now, and we're going to turn to the New Testament letter of 1 Timothy. You'll find our Bible reading this morning on page 991 of the Pew Bibles, page 991. We're beginning a new series this morning on 1 Timothy, and our reading today comes from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Now this is Paul's letter to Timothy, and you'll find it on page 991 of the Pew Bibles. We're reading chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. And as we read, we remember that this is God's word to us. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, Remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or, th- or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this morning. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy. We're beginning a new series this morning on this New Testament letter. It's part of a group of New Testament letters known as the Pastoral Epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Uh, All were written by Paul, and all three cover what churches are to do and to believe. Uh, This series comes on the back of our series on 2 Timothy. We worked our way through that letter in July and August of 2020. It was during the period when church was online, but we're going to spend some time in 1 Timothy over the next few weeks, and hopefully this letter will be helpful for us. Uh, You'll find 1 Timothy 1 on page 991 of the Pew Bibles. Uh, One of the instincts that we have as human beings is that we know how to act in certain places and certain situations. We know that our behavior should be different depending on where we are and what we're doing. Uh, Let me give you some uh, some examples of what I mean. Uh, Imagine that you're having a Friday night in after a busy week your number one goal will be comfort. So you'll maybe change into your loungewear, that's code for pajamas. You'll put your slippers on, you'll put your feet up, you'll put the television on, and you'll tuck into a big Easter egg. Your behavior reflects where you are. You're at home, you're in the living room, and you're relaxing. Now imagine that you're out for dinner with friends on a Friday night. You've gone to a new restaurant and you've dressed up a bit. You're not in your loungewear, you're in decent, respectable, stylish clothes. 
The chat is good too. It's, it's a more formal setting than your living room, but you know that. Your behavior reflects where you are. Now, now imagine one final situation or place. You're at a wedding and you've got your dress on or you've got your suit on. You've had your makeup done. You've been to the hairdresser. You've shaved or trimmed your beard. It's another step up in terms of formality. And you spend your day mingling with guests and having more superficial conversations compared to the conversation you had in the restaurant with friends. And then you come to that moment when you greet the bride and groom, you shake their hands and wish them all the best and thank them for inviting you to their special day. It's all quite formal, but your behavior reflects where you are. It's one of the inbuilt instincts that we have as people that we know how to act in certain places and in certain situations. We know that our behavior should be different depending on where we are and what we're doing. How we behave at home is different to how we behave when we're in a restaurant, and how we behave at a wedding is different again. How, how do we behave in church? Well, there's a sense in, in which that we're all, we're all at different levels. Some of us are more stiff and more formal about church. Some of us are more relaxed and at ease. The, the good news for us is that God has given us a book of the Bible which tells us how we are to behave in church. The key verses of 1 Timothy come in chapter 3. In verses 14 and 15, Paul says this. He says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Now, the twist about the book is that it tells, which tells us how to behave in church, is that it's not about what we wear, it's not about what we do in church, it's not about how we speak to the minister, it's not about how we speak to other people, it's not a book about our external behavior, it's a book about our hearts and about how we're living for God. God, as a good heavenly father, has given us a book about how we are to behave in his house. And as Christians, we know that our behavior should be different to the world around us, wherever we are and whatever we're doing. First Timothy is a letter that, letter that reminds us that being a Christian leads to practical, visible change in the lives of those who follow Jesus. It's not so much that First Timothy is about how we behave in church on a Sunday, as it is about how we behave as the church. When the Bible talks about the church, it doesn't talk about a building per se, it instead talks about people. And in 1 Timothy 1, it focuses our minds on how we as Christian believers live as God's people. Before we look at the first part of 1 Timothy, we need to say a little bit about the book itself. Uh, this won't take too long. Paul is the author of 1 Timothy. Uh, biblical scholars have believed that for hundreds of years, but more recently that view has come under attack. That's mainly because of some of the content of 1 Timothy and some of the other pastoral epistles. We're going to come to one particularly controversial passage in a few weeks' time. But Paul is the author of 1 Timothy. Verse 1 tells us that plainly and clearly. Paul is writing to Timothy. You see that in verse 2. And Timothy was the pastor of the church in Ephesus. The big challenge that he was facing was that he was young and that people were difficult. He had Paul on his side, though, they met at Lystra when Timothy was a teenager. When Paul wrote his, his first letter to Timothy, the, the, the young minister was probably in his early 30s. But Paul and Timothy had this very close relationship, though. Paul had, had basically discipled Timothy in the faith. And as well as that, Paul had set up the church at Ephesus. 
Uh, you can read about that in the book of Acts. He, he eventually moved on and had an emotional final goodbye, and that's recorded in Acts 20. In that emotional goodbye, Paul had warned the Ephesian elders that difficult times were ahead. He said that, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Paul had predicted that the church at Ephesus would face difficulties, and now Timothy is on the cold face of those difficulties. He's, he's feeling the heat because false teaching has crept into the church. And the great danger was that people were in danger of, of walking away from the faith. One of Paul's concerns in this letter is that false teaching will lead people to walk away or, or to wander away from the faith. And we actually need to pay attention to those warnings as well. There's been an explosion of, of spiritual content online because of COVID, but not everything you see online is trustworthy. Not, not everything you hear or see on Christian TV channels is trustworthy either. So, so sometimes we can come across new teaching online or, in, or, or on TV, but Christians are not called to be original thinkers. What we have in the Bible is enough, and the repeated teaching of the Bible is that it is the foundation we need to build our lives on. Paul said as much in his letter to the Ephesians. In Ephesians 2, 19 and 20, he says that the household of God, the church, is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. In, in other words, the, the household of God is built on the Bible and the truth of the scriptures. As a whole, 1 Timothy reveals to us that Paul is very concerned that we would stay focused on the truth. And in this opening section of the letter, he has three things to say about the truth. He says, only the truth advances God's work. Only the truth shows us how to live. And only the truth reaches out to the world. Let's think about each of those points in turn. First of all, only the truth advances God's work. As we've already said, Paul is writing to Timothy, who's the pastor of the church in Ephesus. The precise beginning of the church in Ephesus isn't really known. We do know that Paul was heavenly involved in the fellowship there, though. He had a mighty two to three year ministry there. He preached in the synagogue and then in the hall of Tyrannus. His ministry was filled with extraordinary power, so much so that the idol-making industry suffered substantial economic losses, and that led to a riot started by the idol-makers' guild. The church at Ephesus probably didn't have a building in which they met. Like many of the early Christian churches, the congregation probably met in, in people's homes. Letters like this one would have been read out to the whole congregation, house by house. So while the letters addressed to Timothy, everyone would have heard it. It wasn't a private correspondence. And that makes the opening of the letter all the more explosive. Look at what Paul says to Timothy in verses three and four. He says, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Paul doesn't name the offenders here, but certain people are teaching false doctrine. We're not entirely sure what the heresies were. From what Paul says in verses 3 to 11, we can say that it was something to do with the Old Testament. The false teachers were misinterpreting, misusing, misapplying the Old Testament and the Old Testament law. But what's astonishing is that some of the false teachers were elders. 
Paul had predicted that from your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things in Acts 20, and that has come true. The problem with that was that the elders would have led the house churches and therefore set the theological direction of the church. It wasn't so much that the elders set out to be heretical. They simply wanted to go deeper into the scriptures. They wanted to go beyond the simple message of the Bible text. They didn't set out to abandon the gospel, that, that, that salvation is by faith alone and Christ alone, but their progressive teaching smothered the gospel. The, the lesson is that when you deviate from the truth, you're not doing the work of God. Only the truth advances God's work. As I've said already, we have to be careful about the kinds of teaching that we listen to. Uh, a few years ago, there was a book called The Bible, the, the Bible Code, and it became very popular among Christians, and it was absolute nonsense. It claimed to unlock prophecies of events like the Kennedy assassination, the election of Bill Clinton, Hiroshima, the moon landings, and lots of other important events. It was a novelty, but it was absolute nonsense. There's so much similar nonsense around today. People making connections between the end times and COVID, people making connections between the end times and the war in Ukraine, the, the, the problem with this sort of teaching is that it's, it's not so much that it's wrong, it's that it replaces the gospel. The gospel gets lost among all sorts of theories and speculation. And that's what was happening in Ephesus. People were teaching and speculating, but as Paul says, they, they, they didn't understand what they were saying, and they didn't understand the things that they were making confident assertions about. We need to remember that only the truth advances God's work. When you deviate from the truth, you're not doing the work of God. Sometimes we can end up down a rabbit hole, so to speak. And that's a phrase that has been borrowed from Alice in Wonderland. Alice falls down a rabbit hole into a strange, dreamlike world. When we deviate from the truth, when we speculate about things that we don't really know very much about, we can end up down a rabbit hole and the gospel gets lost. Only the truth advances God's work and we need to hold tightly to it. We also need to remember to pray for those who teach the Bible at all levels, here in church on Sundays, at Sunday school, at Bible class, at Heroes in Training, at all of our organizations. We need to pray that people would handle the Bible properly. We need to pray that people would say the things that God says and not end up down rabbit holes. Only the truth advances God's work. Only the truth shows us how to live. That's the second thing we see in this passage. Only the truth shows us how to live. Look at what Paul says in verse 5. He says, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. But Paul wants the church to be a place of love. And love comes when you submit yourself to the truth of God's word. Throughout this letter, Paul emphasizes doctrine. He, he mentions it seven times in 1 Timothy. I'll not give you the references, but over and over again, Paul says that doctrine is important. And what Paul is trying to make us see is that, when, is that there's a dynamic connection between our doctrine and the way we live. That, that's not what people think nowadays. It's not what Christians think nowadays. We don't need more doctrine. Doctrine divides. What we need is, is practical preaching. That's what some people say sometimes, Pre preaching should always be applied, but we can't say there's no connection between doctrine and practical living. What we know and believe has, has everything to do with how we live. Doctrine is at the heart of practical living. 
Here's a question to ask yourself. Do you love God now? And will you love him less if you know more about him? Absolutely not is the obvious answer. You, you will love him more if you know more about him. The, the more you learn of his excellencies, his holiness, his grace, his mercy, his love, the, the more you'll know of his character and the closer you'll draw to him. The greatest need of the church today is not less doctrine, but more doctrine about God, about salvation, about ourselves, about Christian character, about the church, about family. Our greatest need is to know God better And we can only learn more from his word. Only the truth shows us how to live. Good good way to think about this is to think about building a house. You will be very careful about where you build a house. You'll want to avoid building on on marshy, wet land. You'll also want to avoid building too close to a river in case of flooding. In the same way, we should be careful about where we build our lives, spiritually speaking. The only secure foundation for us to build our lives on is the foundation of the apostles and prophets, the scriptures of the Old and New Testament. Paul hints at the result of of building our lives on sound doctrine in verse 5. False doctrine promises controversies and and strife. Its its empty talk brings hatred and distrust. But sound doctrine produces dynamic love that, that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The picture is that someone who believes and lives in light of sound doctrine is someone whose worship flows up to God. Don't we long to be people like that? People whose lives are being touched by the living God? It will only be as we give ourselves to the truth that God will be at work in our lives. How are we doing when it comes to investing our time in the truth? So so much of our time nowadays is spent scrolling and and swiping and, and liking and tweeting. What about studying the scriptures? What about turning our phones off, turning our screens off, and sitting quietly to read the Bible, to read the truth about ourselves, the truth about God, and the truth about how we're to live? What about settling ourselves to read a book on on Christian doctrine? Only the truth advances God's work. Only the truth shows us how to live. Only the truth reaches out to the world. That's our third and final point this morning. The problem the false teachers in Ephesus had was that they didn't understand the Old Testament or the Old Testament law. Paul mentions them talking about endless genealogies and speculations. Over in Titus, one of the other pastoral epistles, he talks about them teaching Jewish myths. Most people think that he's talking about the same thing, a misunderstanding of the Old Testament and of the Old Testament law. In verse 8, Paul says that the law is good if you use it the right way. The false teachers were using it in the wrong way. They were using the law on believers. They were using the law to promote a new kind of teaching, a teaching that was out of line with the gospel. Paul makes a really useful and practical point in verses 8 to 10. He talks about how Christians can use the law of God. In Romans seven twelve, he writes, So the law is holy. And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. The good that the law can be used for is that it can be called to use, it can be used to call the world to repentance. The false teachers were using the law on believers, but Paul says this, he says, they need to stop doing that. If they want to use the law, why don't they use it on a lost world? You see, one of the purposes of the law 
is that it convicts people of their sin and it points them to Jesus. Martin Luther says that the law is a hammer that crushes self-righteousness, humbles us, and points us to Christ. In verse 9, Paul says the law is not laid down for the just, but for the ungodly and sinners and so on. He gives quite a list in the rest of verse 9 and into verse 10. But what he's pointing out is that the world is morally diseased and must be proclaimed to be condemned by the law. So Paul is crystal clear with the false teachers. If you're going to proclaim the law in this dark world, use it to preach the gospel. Only the truth reaches out to the world. What the false teachers were doing was was turning in on themselves. They They were targeting believers. When you begin making Christians your unreached people group, something is badly wrong. We said at the beginning that Paul's purpose in writing was that the church, the people of God, would live in a way that honors God but there's an underlying purpose, which is, that, which is that of reaching people with the gospel. Later in the letter, he says that God desires all people to be saved. First Timothy is actually about a savior who will save all those who believe in him. And the thing for us to pick up is that your doctrine, what you believe, and your conduct, how you live as a Christian, has everything to do with people becoming Christians. Later, Paul will charge Timothy to keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. The point is simple. Only the truth reaches out to the world. Only the truth of Jesus Christ crucified can change hearts of stone. Only the truth of the gospel can bring light to our dark world. So 1 Timothy 1, 1 1-11 tells us, that only the truth advances God's work, only the truth shows us how to live, and only the truth reaches out to the world. First Timothy is a book about how we behave in church, but the twist is it's not about our external behavior, it's about our hearts. It's about how we behave as the church and as we live our lives in this world. And what we've seen this morning is that the first part of the letter focuses on what we believe. Truth is important. God's truth is is vital. Knowing and believing the truth is essential. The the thing is, and and we'll see this throughout the letter, the thing is that that Paul was was gripped by the truth. He was was absolutely gripped by it. Gripped in a way that made him want to explain it and to preach it and to teach it to others. Gripped in such a way that he lived in light of it. How, How do we know that? Well, look at verse 11. He talks about the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. The, the, the language in verse 11 is so rich. And he says that he has been entrusted with it. In other, word, in other words, God has given him something very precious and very important to speak about and explain. The gospel that was entrusted to Paul and that has been entrusted to us is precious and life-giving. It's the only answer to our world's brokenness It's the only remedy for our sin-sick hearts. That's why it's important that we understand it. That's why we need to know and believe the truth. Because only the truth advances God's work. If you deviate from the truth, you're not doing the work of God. Because only the truth shows us how to live. Someone who who, who believes and lives in light of sound doctrine is someone whose worship flows up to God. And because only the truth reaches out to the world. The glorious gospel of God is both the hammer that that crushes our self-righteousness and the medicine our sin-sick hearts so desperately need. As believers, 
Will we continue to walk in the truth? Will we continue to live in light of it? Will we give ourselves to studying it and becoming more familiar with it? Will we pray for those who teach and lead in our church family? Will we share the truth with those who haven't yet believed? With those who who are perhaps now very unfamiliar with it? And for those of us who aren't yet Christians, what, what will you do in response to the truth of the gospel? That you're a sinner, that Jesus is the only saviour, that he has lived and died and risen again, and that one day he will return. Only the truth of the gospel shows us how to live. Only the truth of the gospel makes sense of our broken world. Only the truth of the gospel can mend your broken heart. What will you do in response to the truth this morning? Paul is going to explain the gospel in more depth in the next section. But this morning we've seen that only the truth advances God's work. Only the truth shows us how to live. And only the truth reaches out to the world. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you that your word is truth and that we can rely on it. And having seen what we've seen in 1 Timothy this morning, we pray that you would help us to live in light of the truth. Help us to behave as those who have been ransomed, healed, restored and forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your glorious gospel and we pray that we would cling tightly to the truth of it. And we pray for those who haven't yet believed in the truth, the, the truth of the gospel, the truth of the Lord Jesus. We pray that you might work in their hearts and help them to understand that only the truth of the gospel can set them free. And we pray all these things in our Saviour's name. Amen.